Well, I am glad for the French guy in the 12th century, aren't you? So was Paul Simon, as it turns out. We are in book one of the Psalms, aren't we? And so just let your Bibles uh, flop open to the early chapters in the Psalms and find ourselves in Psalm 22 this morning. In so many ways, uh, a psalm of suffering. And one of the reasons why we are so um, quick to turn to the psalms in the rhythm of our own lives is to do with suffering. Everybody in this room uh, knows what it is to suffer in circumstances not of their choosing. Suffering is common to all of God's people, as we know. And not all suffering is the same. Yours is different from mine. Uh, Ours is different from theirs. Uh, But nonetheless, we know what it is to suffer in circumstances we have not chosen. I uh, can scarcely understand, let alone relate to, Uh, some of the suffering that is being experienced by the church in Ukraine right now. Some of you, like me, got an email yesterday letting us know that in Mariupol, uh, Ukraine, uh, five uh, church members there were uh, had their lives taken as they were serving uh, in a bomb shelter there, a makeshift bomb shelter. Um, All suffering is not the same. And yet suffering is common to us all. Every week when our prayer chain goes out on Wednesdays, do you, do you read that? Yes. Do you pray through that? Yes. Praise God. And you notice every single week there are fresh reminders there of this common bond, this common burden of God's people in suffering. Among us this morning, there are no, those who know what it is to suffer abuse. And brokenness, and cancer, divorce. And that's just A through D, right? We could go A through Z, and we still would not exhaust the evidence of this common burden of God's people. And worse yet, as this psalm will show us, There are times when we cry out to God in the the pain and strain of suffering and uh, we are simply met with silence from heaven. Some of you are experiencing that right now because you told me this morning. It's as if our prayers bounce off the ceiling of this earth, not even reaching the attention of our God in heaven. feels that way. And we don't talk about such feelings all that much because it's not very churchy. And we're afraid perhaps someone will think us to be immature in our faith or perhaps lacking faith. But the feeling remains, doesn't it? And it is as if God hears our cries, but for some reason he has looked away from us. Other people's prayers are being answered. Why not ours, we wonder? 
So the cry of Psalm 2 is at times our cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. But here's the thing. As easily as it is for us to relate to Psalm 22, it is as well an utterly unique experience from ours that we're about to read. It is an anthem of sorts for all who suffer, particularly those who suffer and have suffering accompanied by unanswered prayer. But Psalm 22 is a heart cry that is uniquely applicable to our Savior Jesus as he died at Calvary, forsaken by God, so that God's people would never be forsaken by him. And so as as well as we will do, Uh, to put ourselves in David's shoes, to see ourselves in this psalm. We'll do so much better to see our Savior in these words. That is my prayer for us this morning. Let's just look at this psalm now together. We're going to read the whole thing. So settle in. Here is the gospel according to David. To the chief musician, set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. 
my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. So reads the gospel according to King David. And he begins with those familiar words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In fact, when we, when we hear those words, we think of Jesus first and foremost, don't we? We don't think of David, and certainly not ourselves. But you know, when your suffering is compounded by unanswered prayer, what, what do you do? Here is David crying out in the midst of his own suffering. We don't know exactly what the circumstances were. But nonetheless, he prophesies as he cries out of the greater David, uh, the eternal king and savior promised to God's people throughout the ages. And both David and King Jesus give us a path to follow a path of faith, if you will, through our own suffering and the seeming silence of heaven that we sometimes feel. Verses 1 and 2 present us with this very thing. Are there not times when God's people might cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, Lord? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season and am not silent. You see, the thing of it is when you read the Psalms, you find out that the Psalms are reading you. The whole Bible is that way, isn't it? David gives voice to thoughts that you and I have had. Bouncing around in our heads in times of profound discouragement, particularly when we feel our prayers are not heard, let alone answered. Why, God? Where are you? Do you not hear? Do you not care? 
And so here is an open recognition that at times God seems to have abandoned his people. And that feels unspiritual to say, let alone write down. But it is so. And it's right here in your Bible. And if you ever feel this way, do not let anyone convince you that you lack maturity, that you lack faith, that you are somehow sinning against God simply to feel this way. God's people do at times feel this way. Every one of us who is honest with himself, Jesus, the blessed man of Psalm 1, who only delighted in the law of the Lord, who meditated only on God's law day and night, who never walked in the way of the ungodly, used these precise words to express his own agony of soul at Calvary. Was there a deficiency of faith in the Lord Jesus? Was there an immaturity or a weak faith in the Lord Jesus as he died for us on that cross? Of course not. Of course not. John Calvin, in his commentary on the Psalms, says this. He says, there is not one of the godly who does not daily experience in himself this same thing. He thinks he is cast off and forsaken by God, while yet he apprehends by faith the grace of God, which is hidden from the eye of sense and reason. Our feelings, in other words, at times, proclaim a profoundly felt abandonment. And yet faith still sings, my God, my God. Weakness of flesh, then, is not always weakness of faith, is it? And as it turns out, the Psalms comfort us so profoundly Because of this very reality, how many times do we read the Psalms and think, my goodness, that's my heart. The psalmist just gave voice to what I'm feeling right now in my own experience. Now, there are some people who simply cry, why God, rather than my God. And I want to make a distinction. It sounds like splitting hairs, but it really isn't. There are some who distance themselves from God in that way in their suffering. I heard that just this morning. Pray for he's mad at God. She's angry with God. They bear a grudge against God because because what? God has not performed according to their expectations. Their preferred help has not occurred. And there may be someone here this morning who can relate to this very thing. When God does not perform according to your expectations, when you suffer, do you distance yourself from him in anger, in frustration? That spouse you've prayed for is still unchanged. It's been decades. The child you've 
prayed for still forsakes her Christian upbringing. She's got her own kids now. That life you've always expected and even prayed for and worked toward remains outside your reach. And rather than crying, my God, drawing near to him in faith, you've switched lately to why God? And you've wandered from him in disenchantment. So I hope it doesn't sound tedious to suggest that we can learn something from David's lament. It is not simply why God. It is my God. Even in his pain, even in his bewilderment, even in his disenchantment and disappointment, he still clings to the God of the covenant who is loyal to his own. No matter what David feels within himself. I don't know how to express express that, really, but I, I put it this way in my own notes, and so I'm going to foist it on all of you. Faith sings of God's nearness even when feelings cannot. This is the language of faith in God when you're not feeling it. And we can say more than that. David's lament is is full of instruction for us when we despair in this way. Look at verses 3 through 5. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. When, when, When earth's suffering is met with heaven's silence, we are sorely tempted to look within in self-pity. Do you ever do that? You say, well, I would never do that, but I'm praying for the people in the second service because it seems to me a natural thing. Or we look ahead simply with dread. We don't know what's around the corner, and worse yet, we fear God isn't around the corner in all of his goodness and benevolence for his own. And some of us get stuck in one or both of those mindsets. So in a group of people this size, it's not unthinkable that there might be some among us whose whose response to suffering is is that of self-pity. Why? Why me? No one knows or understands what I'm going through. And the answer of help and hope that anyone could offer you is quickly met with all of the reasons why that can't work for you. Self-pity is a prison. Anybody ever been in that prison? Yeah. How will God deal with such selfish people, do you suppose? And what of dread? We've mentioned already in our time in the Psalms that the world is full of Eeyores, right? Not everybody's a Tigger. And there are those, even among God's people, tempted in their suffering to live in a perpetual state of gloom and doom. The sun seems forever covered with our darkness. 
And, and, and the question isn't so much can we relate to those approaches, but what do we do about it? I mean, we, we don't need the diagnosis so much as we need the remedy, right? Well, what is David's remedy? Look at verse 3. But you, all of those feelings of forsakenness, Lord, are to do with me, but you. And, and, and the word you is emphatic in this poem, in this hymn. It's meant to be sung with emphasis, with, with, with force of confidence. Lord, here is what I know about you. Here's what I believe about you, though it is not always felt. In my experience, you are holy. What's he talking about? God is utterly other than, unique, set apart from all else. And in this instance, what is unique about God, David sings, is his covenant faithfulness to his people, his Israel, his church, if you will. But you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. So numerous are the praises of God's people for his past faithfulness. It's as if God is seated in the the clouds of, of his people's praise. And David does not look inward in self pity. And David does not look ahead into his unknown future simply with dread. He looks to his God. And he looks back to the real, tangible instances of God's faithfulness to his people and to himself. Do you ever do that? Those of you who journal have made a habit of writing down not just your prayers, but God's answers to your prayers. And I think you're on to something. I want to commend you for that. Because how frequently has it been an encouragement to your heart to look back at the weeks and months and years of God's faithfulness to you in your life? Our fathers trusted, you delivered, David sings. They cried out, you delivered them. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Never ever do God's elect people trust in him and find him to be untrustworthy. Amen? He is now and always has been faithful to his people. Loyalty. Listen, covenant love, covenant loyalty is not merely an activity of God. It's his very nature. It's who he is in his relationship to his own. And so when suffering is met with God's silence, we're to trust in his past faithfulness, not our present feelings. The Psalms are all about feelings, many of them. And yet how often do they go eventually to, but you, Nonetheless, I will remember the goodness of my God. All of you who truly know the Lord have the evidence of this, his faithfulness to you in your life as a believer. And we do well to take a page from David's book, God's own book, 
in recalling his past faithfulness, even as we cry out to him in those occasions when our best words are simply, my God, my God, why, where, how, how long? Are you still listening? There's always a danger of these things being practical, personal. Now, I mentioned earlier that Psalm 22 is overtly messianic. Uh, In fact, its opening words, as I said earlier, are so much more familiar to us in terms of Jesus speaking them than David. We, We know these words Uh, maybe some of us more from the New Testament accounts of Calvary than we do Psalm 22. So how is it that David's words eventually became Jesus' own words at Calvary? And I suggested to you in the pastorgram, and there's about two of you in each service who read that thing, but I suggested to you in the pastorgram that you consider, uh, for example, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read uh, for us verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter 1. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation um, because I get to decide that, don't I? (laughs) Salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. Isn't that amazing? A thousand years before the cross, give or take. The Spirit of Christ is working in David, moving him in the middle of his own lament to fade into the background that Christ might be preeminent. Even as David sings of his own sufferings, he's describing in precise detail the heart cry of our Savior Jesus as he hung on the cross for us. See, the Gospels tell us in in such wonderful, sometimes hard-to-read ways what happened. Psalm 22 invites us into the heart of our Savior. How was he feeling about what happened? Whatever David suffered that led up to Psalm 22 occurred for the sake of his foreshadowing the one who was to proceed from him, Jesus. And the thing of it is, friends, is no one has suffered as our Savior suffered. Let's not think that. David did not suffer as our Savior suffered. The church in Ukraine right now, is as, as profound as that is, is not suffering as our Savior suffered. Jesus is the only person on planet Earth who could rightly say, no others understand my suffering. You and I can't say that, but we have a Savior who can. Matthew and Mark make this quite 
plain to us in their Gospels. This is Matthew 27, as you know. Jesus cried out with a loud voice from the cross, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, this is the central statement of Jesus from the cross. This is the heart of the gospel. We don't want to miss this. How is the gospel to do with the father forsaking the son? And what in the world does that have to do with you? Christ took these words, so familiar to him, obviously, so familiar to God's people in his day, and made them the best expression of the depth of his suffering, the torment and the agony of Calvary. This is Jesus then crying out in Psalm 22, as no other person has or can. Listen to him. But I am a worm and no man a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Not only was Jesus the inspiration for David's writing. Not only was Jesus so familiar in his humanity with Psalm 22, so were the people who crucified Jesus familiar with Psalm 22. In fact, they borrowed from it in order to mock Jesus. Matthew's gospel describes it this way. Matthew 27, verse 41, Likewise, the chief priest also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Well, my goodness, that's Psalm 22, isn't it? Wicked men the Jewish religious leaders, killing the Lord's anointed, the blessed man, the anointed king, citing the very scripture they had taught to God's people about their Messiah as they go about his murder. That is spiritual blindness, isn't it? And Jesus clung by faith to the Father. Faith sings when feelings cannot. Back in Psalm 22, look at verse 9. But you, there it is again, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. How different is Christ's suffering from David's? How different is Christ's suffering from yours 
or ours collectively. You and I were once alienated from God. Jesus had no such history. What what does the scripture say to you about Jesus? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus, God the Son, had enjoyed uninterrupted, glad fellowship with the Father only. And the Father viewed the Son with delight continually. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus lived out his days on this earth, never, ever having to ask the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Until he was nailed to that cross. And it wasn't until the cross was drenched with his blood that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's the thing. Unlike David, it was not simply that Jesus felt abandoned. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was forsaken. If he was to make satisfaction for your sins, he could not simply feel abandonment or imagine abandonment the way you and I sometimes do. He must experience abandonment, forsakenness. So we come to Psalm 22 and we're helped within ourselves by the example of David. But we must see something completely different in the experience of the Lord's anointed, our Savior. Jesus is not expressing how he felt. He is expressing what has happened as he died for the sins of of his people. And and what is this forsakenness like? Well, you can look at verses 11 through 20 to get a sense of that. Lord willing, we'll we'll explore that further on Good Friday. But but you notice that as we read through the psalm, uh, Jesus is uh, being scorned and despised. He, he's being mocked and insulted. His, uh, his enemies viciously attack him. His life is poured out like water. His bones are out of joint. His heart melts like wax. His strength is dried up. His hands and his feet are pierced. Did you notice that? His clothes are divided up and gambled for. But then you noticed a change in the psalm, didn't you? When when we got to verse 21, tell me you noticed this. You have answered me. So this gospel, according to David, is not merely to do with the suffering Messiah, but a risen Messiah. God has answered the cry of the forsaken one. But we'll, we'll come to that later. I want us to think about, before we wrap up here, what does it mean to be forsaken by God? 
Please do not think that it means God turns away and is absent from you. People sometimes say that. Well, that's, I guess if judgment is just the absence of God, I guess I can deal with that. Boy, what, what callous and proud ignorance. Calvary's forsakenness takes place in the presence of God. When a criminal stands before the court, he has to face the judge. The, the judge doesn't look away. The, the, the judge looks right at the criminal. The terror of the court is that the judge will not look away. The judge looks straight at you, eye to eye, face to face. And we sometimes sing that song that says, you know, the father turns his face away. That's not strictly true. Here is unmixed justice meeting the one who was crucified as a substitute for your sin. And it's all face to face. It's all eye to eye. Justice will not turn away from sin. Are you hearing this? I wonder, friend, how will you fare on that day when your judge, God himself, looks you in the eye? Oh, how you would want him to look away. What a record of sin you've built up in your lifetime. Day after day, storing up wrath, the scripture says. And I beg you not to be so foolish as to think that God will simply look away from your sin. That's not what it is to be forsaken. Do you realize that hell is not the absence of God? Hell is the presence of God without a mediator. And there is only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know the one who took the gaze of God's wrath in your place? I have to ask you this because God will deal with you eye to eye, face to face one day. The father did not turn his face away. Nor will he turn his face away from any who are apart from the mercy won for us by Christ. The thing of it is, is Jesus had stood in the court of of human opinion and and was found innocent. Pilate found no fault in Jesus. Uh, The the, the high priest, the Jewish religious leaders had to make stuff up to charge Jesus with something. But at Calvary, on that cross, Jesus hangs before the judge who is superior to all, God himself. Himself. And he stands before the court of God's inflexible justice. And he's made accountable as the sin bearer for all of his people. He who knew no sin became sin. 
And so the sentence is delivered. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There will be no acquittal. And there will be no appeal. If he's to make reconciliation for the sins of his people, for your sins, he must be forsaken by God. Is this your Jesus? Or is your Jesus the one you've made up in your mind who sometimes helps your team win the game? Maybe might help you get a job. Hopefully will make the illness go away. What was it that Jesus said in Gethsemane as they came for him? Take me, that these may go their way. And what is he doing here in Psalm 22? But saying to the Father, take me, that these may be led away. No matter how often you may feel abandoned, friend, Forsaken in your suffering, you have to come back to the reality that it is an impossibility for God's people because you belong to the one who was forsaken for you, who was abandoned for you. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's why the gospel is such good news. God never abandons those for whom Christ died. But what if my faith is sometimes weak? God never abandons those for whom Christ died. Well, what if I'm not feeling saved today? You've heard about that. God never abandons those for whom Christ died. But this week, I'm weak in faith. Yes, but your faith is in a strong Savior. And there are times, earth's sufferings, even for God's people, feel as the very absence of God. But how many of you know feelings and faith don't always travel together, do they? And in such times, it will serve us well. To resist the temptation to look inward in self-pity and to resist the temptation to be those who only look ahead with dread. And we cry out, why God, instead of my God, I'm his. See, God is at work for his people in their suffering, whether his good hand is seen or felt or not. You need proof of that. You look to the cross. Do you not see how God has served you? So we want to look through eyes of faith at unanswered prayer. Actually, it is answered. It's just not answered the way we want it, right? We call it unanswered prayer, but even that is a mistake. 
Look back to the reality of his good providence in your life, even when you haven't prayed. Am I the only one who can testify to that? God's been good when I haven't been. God is trustworthy when I am not. I read that somewhere. He is faithful when I am without faith. But in all of our looking, let's look to Jesus. Let's look to the cross and to its finished work. Look to the one who was forsaken by God that we might never be forsaken by God. Amen? All right, that's it. Let, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful hymn. And we've only scratched its surface, Lord. But we trust that by your Spirit, you will sow it into our hearts, Lord, that we might see our strong Savior, that we might be moved by the enormity of what you, Jesus, have done for us. Lord, I pray that we would be those who, by faith, are much quicker to say, my God, than why God, when things just aren't going as we feel they should. We pray believing that you do all things well, and we need look no further than to Calvary's cross to see your good hand at work. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here who came here apart from you, that Jesus, your rescue from God's wrath for such a sinner would be made plain and clear that you would enable saving faith among us this day and that you would be glorified through that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.